I always love it when that reading from Paul is given, wives, be subordinate to your husbands. And I see the husbands looking at their wives like, yeah. And the wives look like, get a life, you know. We are in the final week of this study on the Bread of Life chapter in John's Gospel. Four weeks ago, the Gospel brought us to the miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fish. We saw how the ecstatic crowd called Jesus the prophet who was to come into the world, and they were so excited they were ready to go yank him out and make make him their king. And then over the next three weeks, the Gospel text showed that while the crowd followed Jesus around the Sea of Galilee in the hopes of seeing more miracles, the Lord didn't perform any. But instead, he focused on what? Teaching. To prepare the people for the great mystery, the revelation of the Eucharist. That he is the bread that came down from heaven that his flesh is true food, that his blood is true drink, that brings eternal life to those who receive him. And all during this process, we saw an increasing hostility develop in the crowd. They stopped calling him the prophet and called him rabbi. And then later they called him what? Sir. We saw how at first they murmured, which means to utter secret and sullen discontent at Jesus' teaching. And then the murmuring evolved into outright quarreling. In today's gospel, you'll notice the crowd was not mentioned at all, insistent that Jesus was a mere man, or as they called him, the son of Joseph. His claim that I am the bread come down from heaven, that he will feed them with his flesh and blood, were just too much. Now, Jesus could have softened his words. He could have said, my flesh is like real food. My blood is like real drink. But he didn't. He did not use the language of symbol, but the language of reality. And offended, the crowd abandoned him. And so our focus in today's gospel is on the disciples. And it gives the very clear impression there was a substantial number of people that were following Jesus. And we hear them murmuring as well. Uttering secret and sullen discontent among themselves over Jesus' claim that he gives his body as true food. And his blood is true drink, which offers eternal life. This saying is hard. Who can accept it? They whined. Just as Jesus brought the murmuring of the crowd into the broad daylight for their own good, so too he did with that of the disciples. And then he challenged them. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
Let's look at that exchange a bit. This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Of course it's hard. It defies all human convention. It defies logic. It defies the capacity of the mind to grasp it. It is only by the grace of faith that one can believe Jesus is one in being with the Father, that he is God, that one is able to believe that he can and he will feed us with his flesh and feed us with his blood, trusting that his word, undiminished in power despite the passage of time, will always accomplish that which he sends it out for. It was a leap that the disciples could not, would not make. It is a leap that many today cannot or will not make. And so the Lord asked them, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. In other words, says Jesus, even if you saw me ascend to my Father right now with your own eyes, you would not understand what was happening or what it means. And indeed they would not, because they were not yet fully formed in faith. Oddly enough, those who remain faithful would see him ascend to the Father and understand. And then Jesus tells them, it is the spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. Having been raised in the Protestant tradition, this was commonly used to say, well, the Eucharist is only a symbol because the flesh is of no avail. It is a clever distortion of Jesus' words and takes them out of context. What is Jesus saying then? He says something like this. Your insistence on relying on your flesh, that is your way of thinking, your way of perceiving, your way of seeing, which all conspires to restrict me to the confines of what you think is or is not possible, is not my problem. It's yours. Don't you see that you are blocking yourself by imposing your limitations on me? How can my word help you when you insist on keeping it corralled in your tiny boxes, your limitations. My Father offers you faith to see, but you insist on using the flesh of your intellect, and so you remain blind. It's not that you lack grace, but that you resist it, and the more you resist it, the more confused and angrier you become. I cannot make you believe. You must come to that on your own. And then we hear, as a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. 
This is the only time in all four Gospels that we hear of a large-scale desertion of Jesus' disciples. It must have caused the Lord great heartache. It still does when people desert him. It was a disastrous moment in the life of the primitive church. But this is the risk the Lord takes in working with creatures who have free will. That these disciples went back to their former ways implies not just they went back to their old jobs. Since Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, those disciples rejected the way, the truth, and therefore they rejected life. They condemned themselves, as many do today. Now, I realize that sounds harsh to us 21st century believers. We have swallowed the comfortable lie. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just be a nice person, and everyone goes to heaven. Well, let me ask you, folks. If all you and I have to do to go to heaven is be nice, what need was there for the cross? What need? None. But here's the problem. We're not nice by nature. We're not evil by nature. We're screwed up by nature. And this idea that everyone's going to heaven, it's a beautiful, wonderful, so comforting lie. Because Jesus never said that. We have created a warm, soft, fuzzy, pampered society in which everything is to be tolerated as an expression of personal freedom and autonomy that no one has the right to pass judgment on. And we try to impose this bizarre standard on Jesus and his church. You know, many today do not really want a God who forgives. Why? Because that would mean what? What we're doing is wrong. It's sinful. And we don't want to hear that. We insist on a God who understands, who tolerates everything to such a degree that nothing really has any meaning. Jesus, however, is very clear. He came as a savior precisely because we need to be saved, most especially from ourselves. Jesus desires the salvation of all. He offers salvation to all. But given the nature of human free will, not all will allow themselves to be saved. And so many of the disciples abandoned Jesus. Many abandoned him today, preferring the Jesus of their imagination or their personal opinion that's formed more by the culture that passes than the eternal gospel. And so the Lord now turns to the 12. Could you imagine what it would be like for those 12 guys as they saw everyone else abandoning Jesus? 
And he says to them, do you also want to leave? You know, you'll notice Jesus didn't back off from his claim to be the bread come down from heaven. He refused to soften his claim that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink that offers eternal life. He refused to use the language of symbol. He insisted on the language of reality. And Peter assumed the role as spokesman for the group, for this deeply wounded church reeling from this mass desertion. He professed on behalf of the twelve, we have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. This, of course, would be tested when at the Last Supper, Judas would betray the Lord. It would be tested at the Garden of Gethsemane, where they all deserted Jesus at his arrest. It would be tested when Peter would deny Jesus three times. And it would be tested by the scandal and the horror of the cross. But for now, Peter's words were a start. Do you and I allow Peter to continue to speak for us? Or do we search for a different kind of savior, a more comfortable savior, an understanding savior, a savior that is less demanding? Do we struggle with all of our failures, all of our sins, all of our setbacks to still cling to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, or do we prefer to follow that well-worn and so much easier path of heretics who insist on searching for something more true than the truth? <laughs>